Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome to Relationship Truth Unfiltered, and I am so excited to have you meet one of my team coaches. Elise Berryhill and I have known each other for years and years and years through American Association of Christian Counselors, and when I was beginning to do some coaching, she asked me if she could learn from me, and we worked together a little bit, and then she became a team member. She is a licensed counselor in Georgia. She grew up in Florida, and she went to Dallas Theological Seminary, so she's kind of all over the South. And I am so grateful to have her on my team. So Elise has two children, three grandchildren. She's been married a while, a long time. How long have you been married? 39 years. 39 years. I was just counting up. I've been married 44 or 43 (laughs) years. So I was thinking, boy, my 20, my 50th is coming up really soon. So that kind of scared me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome, welcome. I want to have our listeners in the podcast world get to know my team and get to know my coaches. They've gotten to know me well, Julie well, but I thought it'd be really fun to just take a session and them get to know you. So Lise, what drew you to our ministry here? And what's kept you here? You've been here five years. I have been here five years and I've delighted. It's been a delight all the way. I think back when I was really just recently out of grad school, I went back to grad school as a latent lifer. It's a lifelong passion to be a a counselor at the time. And, And so I went to graduate school, got my counseling degree, and I was fresh out of college and had to do some continuing eds. And I, I went to an ACC, one that was just on marriages, which was very attractive to me. And I, I went down to Florida and you, it was in Orlando. Anyway, I, I looked at the syllabus and I, I didn't know you at all. I just, whatever was the title of your class, I thought was very, very interesting. And I did want to work with, you know, people in marriages. I didn't really know anything about destructive marriages, to be quite honest with you. And so I remember taking your class and one, let me, you know, just kind of give you some praise because as counselors and those who have to take continuing ed, sometimes they're really quite boring and we just got to have to soldier through it. And I remember being really captivated by it the whole time, you know, and I was the, the outline, I was following you. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, what would I have done if I didn't come to your class? Because this was really a watershed moment for me in the counseling world. I am in, in a very sweet marriage, a very tender marriage. I didn't grow up with a lot of dysfunction. My parents certainly had a more difficult marriage than I've had, but I didn't really know. And certainly back then in, in 2010, we still really weren't talking about destructive relationships. It was still hidden behind closed doors, right? People were certainly experiencing it, but I really wasn't that familiar with it. And so that exposure was life-changing for me. I mean, genuinely life-changing. And I remember just pouring over that handout that you gave us and really walking step by step with many, many, you know, clients early on in my practice. And it was, then I began to look at your books, see where else you might be speaking and really begin to follow you and begin to understand that there was a whole other side of marriage and what marriage counseling would look like. And really, most couples really don't even need to be in marriage counseling. They need to be in individual counseling, doing their own work. And how, as people helpers, 
how well-intended we can be and really do a lot of harm. That was really painful for me to hear and take in and really begin to process. If I would not have heard you, I think I really would have fallen in that category. Very well-meaning, trying my best to help others, but it would have been very harmful. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. powerful. You know, it, it still breaks my heart that a lot of Christian colleges, I don't know what Dallas Seminary does these days, but they still don't really have any courses on this. They assume that every marriage is fixable. And you know, every marriage probably is fixable if two people are willing to right. work on it. But um, right. the, the ways that they talk about the more problematic issues in marriage are pretty skim milk kind of depth. And they really don't talk about what it means and the power control dynamics or any of those kind of things. And so sadly, a lot of people are in your boat. They graduate with a degree in marriage and family counseling, or they graduate with their master's degree in something in counseling, and they still right. aren't equipped to really do some work with some types of people. Right, exactly. And that's, that's, that's why I say it was such a watershed moment for me. Like, I'm not sure where I would be. And then, and really, I think it was not only a watershed moment for me as I, you know, entered into my practice, but also it was really kind of the, the, the door, the entrance into what I would really practice for the rest of my career. And mm-hmm. so, you know, from a counseling perspective and then from a coaching perspective as well, and that this is really kind of the lifeblood of what I do is working with women in destructive relationships. And I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> so wow. that, that has a way of directing our path. Yes. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It, yeah. it really is. He's always at work. He is always at work. And so it was a beautiful opening into that, to this journey with you and, you know, with all women. So, yeah. So what's your favorite part of working with women? Because this is hard work, Elise. It's heartbreaking work. We take on their suffering um, at times. You know, I say to my clients, when I'm having your nightmares, it's time for me to have a vacation. <laughs> um, because we do, we do have their nightmares. We're, you know, trying to figure out how we can help them. And right. sometimes we are caught emotionally by some of that. But what's your favorite part of working with these women? Yeah, I just really, we just got, I just finished a class this morning, a moving beyond people pleasing class that you you offer. And it just, every single time, every single class, even when if I'm working one-on-one or with women, just that aha moment of freedom that they, they see like the, you know, like the green curtains, you know, been pushed back and they realize, wait, maybe, maybe that person behind the green you know, curtain isn't so big and bad. And, and he, you know, and, or they realize I've made more of this and I actually have the strength to actually step into this. And they've had this fear for so long. And it's not that the fear is removed, the fear, you know, maybe still exists, but, but I begin to see courage to step into hard places, right. That they, they really begin to realize the strength that they do have. And let me say that when I hear their stories, I, I'm just always blown back by the strength that they have. I like, I, I have to say almost personally, I'm not sure I could have stayed in what they've stayed in sometimes, right? Whether good or bad, I'm like, girl, you're way much stronger than you're giving yourself credit for. You have way more grit than I can imagine having. And so let's use that for your good, not for your, you know, that it's, that it's deforming you in any way, but really form you really strengthening them in a way that they really just begin to see that and that aha and that freedom and even arms raised sometimes the liberation that comes when they really take it kind of from head knowledge to heart knowledge, that they actually do have strength to step into really hard places in a very healthy way. 
And they can love their enemy, even if that enemy happens to be a spouse in the moment, they can love him and still have good boundaries. They don't have to be mean and have good boundaries because sometimes women are taught, you know, to be nice and kind and sweet, and then they're mad and they're not right. (laughs) And that's the only place that they're allowed to have their no, or they're allowed to have their voice is when they're good and mad, they don't care what people think. And they get so caught up in that, that cycle of people pleasing or making sure everybody's happy until they can't anymore. And then they just blurt it out and then they go back to the people pleasing. And so for a a woman to find her strength, as well as hold on to her kindness and love, is huge. It's a huge victory for her in Christ. And it's a huge opportunity to change the direction of their destructive dynamics if their husband is willing. Right, exactly. And I think the two words that often get paired and they are all, it's always an aha moment for them that they can pair kindness with firmness, that I can be firm because so oftentimes they think firm is harsh like, no, we're, we're not going to pair kind with harsh. That wouldn't work. <laughs> but we can pair kind with firm. That, mm-hmm. might, that your no can be firm. That your no can be solid. Right? And it, but yet it, we can still deliver it and mean it in our heart as a kindness. Yeah. And, and it is a kindness. I mean, we all understand this as a mom. But sometimes no is the best answer for our child. Absolutely. No, you can't keep playing these electronics. You need to do your homework or you need to go to bed or no, you know, you may not talk to me this way or no, you may not bite your sister. I don't care how angry you are. No. And you don't have to be mean about it, but this is for their good. And I think as we work with women who so want their marriages to work, they sometimes made their marriage an idol instead of saying, how can I best help my husband love him? into the opportunity for him to be his best self. And sometimes that means saying no. Exactly. And they do find a no. And that's another place that's really a lot of fun to listen mm-hmm. to. Their even, even as we got off the call today, you know, listening to the progress in the six weeks, a very, very short time, those baby steps, and you could see the excitement in them because they really made those steps. Yes, exactly. You know, at least you've been in our Conquer membership, which is a educational and support group for women in destructive marriages for a long time now. And we do this Conquer journey, which takes them through five steps of, you know, these aha moments about safety and clarity and strengthening. And then, you know, they have the opportunity to kind of build those muscles as they go through our program. But what's your favorite step in the Conquer journey and why? Yeah, as, as I was looking at this, I really, one, let me just say, I really do like each step and they were so well planned out. They're so helpful. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking it, we, I love the freshman orientation that we do basically as we take these women into the, the class and we, we introduce them into this journey because there's so much material that you've provided for them. And it's so rich and thick and dense, you know, where do we begin? And we really love them and we want them to, to succeed in this. And so that very first, it's really the zero step, basically, of awakening is that we really can't change what we're not aware of, right? And so the fact that they have come to this place, it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm starting to see, you know, what my role is. I've been, you know, all focused on trying to make my husband happy, do something differently, be more submissive, you know, all the things that they've, they've tried very much so, but th- then they have this awakening and oftentimes they haven't even realized that they've been in a destructive relationship and that they've known it, they've experienced it, their body has felt it, they have felt the oppression. And so in that respect, they've really known it. 
but but to be able to identify it to really kind of waken up to now they have the power on their side to do something different that awakening that awareness i think is i just love even here in the beginning of these stories of where they are and then it's not really the one i usually teach but i love the strength step of really where they have kind of walked through i think it's the fourth or fifth step i can't remember but they really are beginning to feel strong and again it's that aha they come in quite dependent like they really want us to, you know, show them. And we do have a lot of resources for them, but pretty quickly we keep showing them, you have it, you have it, you have what it takes, slow down, digest it. We're, we're right here, but, but you have it and you can do this. That they, as you, you often say, they are going to be the hero of their story, right? That they're going to take their focus on what they can't control and shift this false sense of power over to real power, which is within themselves. And that's where the strength comes. And that is, that's just such a delight to watch. And we can see the shift. I mean, the ahas just keep rolling and rolling and we can really see, and they'll start speaking with strength language. And it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that too. I love seeing their eyes open. And, you know, when Jesus tells us that our eye is healthy, our whole body is full of light. And when we see correctly and, you know, we don't do ourselves any favors to whitewash things, to lie to ourselves, to pretend it isn't as bad as it really is, because then we can't really address what it really is. I mean, if we have cancer and we just say to ourselves, oh, I'm just got a cold or I've got the sniffles or I just have a stomach ache, it's not the same thing. And it doesn't require the same remedy or the same strength to get through. And so it's really important that we're able to know where we are so that we can take the appropriate action steps. And I love that awakening step too, because it's not about blaming or being angry at life or God, that it is not the way you want it. It's, hey, this is where I am. This is where I am. Where do I want to go? Who do I want to be in this place that I am? And recognizing that you do have choices. Even if you are victimized, or even if you are harmed by someone, you have choices about what you're going to do with that and where you're going to go from that. And sometimes these women are so caught because it's their marriage that's causing the harm that sure. they're just stuck in a spiral of despair, feeling like they have no options and no choices. But once they recognize they have choices and that God has given them choices and they will learn to make good choices, wise choices in line with God and his plan for their life, there's freedom there and there is strength and power. And I love that verse in Proverbs where it says strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future unafraid. And so as Christian women, we don't need to be afraid of being strong. That's not unbiblical. That is totally biblical. It pleases him to make us strong. Do you have any personal story, Elise, of your own growth that you'd like to share? Something that you really had to learn or grow through? It's such a great question because we can stop and reflect and we can see the movement of the Lord in our life of where he's growing us, where he's refining us where the crucible is. And there have been a few crucibles, certainly in our life and in my life and in places of growth. And years back when my children were young, I don't know how I crossed paths with two young women who really had been abandoned by their mother and were being raised by their father. They were really just kind of looking for help. They actually end up living with me kind of part-time through this for about two years. They would be with their dad some and with me some. 
But as they, you know, finished high school and began to exit their own home and exit home, and they they had a very, very, very destructive home and a very problematic home. And so I, I loved them, probably was in the rescuing mode at that point with them, wanted to rescue them from, from what was going on. And certainly life, I have to say, was a little easier for them in our home. But one, one day, one of them made a decision that she was kind of done with everything. And she took off with a young man and, you know, went, went to another state. And I was really quite devastated by it. I was really like, I had really kind of invested and poured a lot of energy and love into these girls' lives. And I really didn't understand it at all. It was the first time I actually went and saw a counselor over it. I was so devastated from it. I was really quite heartbroken felt somewhat rejected and betrayed. I felt like I had loved and served her well. And I felt like we had a really sweet relationship and didn't understand kind of her choice at all. And, and he really began to share with me, you know, Elise, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to be a counselor at some point, this is how you can learn to love well. And, and it was really a growth part as I was going to step into counseling myself of like how I love my clients well but how I allow them to be them in the process that, that my attachment had to be certainly healthy, but it couldn't cross the line. And so that, that just became a growth period of kind of what the next steps were with counseling. And so I just remember that being just almost an earth shattering place. I hadn't really, to be honest with you, experienced a lot of pain or rejection kind of in my family life or a home life at all. And so that was kind of the first like whew, wham that I had experienced there. And so it took me a while to settle down, kind of get my emotions back intact and kind of understand that, you know, they had, she had her own life to live and her own choices to make. And that was going to be true for whoever I sat in front of and how would I hold that well? And that I couldn't be a rescuer, that they had to be the hero of their own story. And through that pain really, you know, kind of started the growth into, you know, kind of my counseling world. And then when I was in graduate school, um, I, I had the privilege of going to seminary. And so that was really kind of one of my highlights of growth spiritually. Um, it, it just, I've been in Bible studies. I've been in church most of my life, love church, love Bible study, love being with women, but just to be in an academic world, which that really isn't my forte, to be honest with you. I was kind of like maybe in up to, you know, my nose a little bit swimming. It was a little bit difficult, but I, but I really, how I got to experience God in a whole different way was beyond what I could have ever imagined and the growth that happened from that and how that would really mark my counseling years. And so, which was incredible, but in the background of that, some of the things were going on in my life. And I got a really hard phone call one day from a counselor here in Atlanta who reached out to me and my son happened to be in his office. And he, you know, he said, Mrs. Berryhill, I have some really hard news for you. And, and I said, you know, what is it? And he said, I have your, I have your son here with me. And I could hear my son, you know, kind of whimpering in the background. And, and he began to tell me that uh, my son was struggling with his sobriety and I, I was like, sobriety, what are you even talking about? And he was at college and, you know, I assumed some things were probably going on that I didn't, didn't like, but had, didn't have any um, really real idea of what had gone on. But anyway, he said, I, I, your son had shared with me that he had experienced with some uh, drugs over, you know, the summer break. And he has found himself in a place now where he can't seem to shake that. And so that was devastating to us. And the, um, the drug use was very severe oh. as far as, um, you know, the drug of choice was very severe. And, you know, by 
you know, God's grace, we were, you know, he wanted, he did not want to be there. He wanted to be out. He wanted to be free of it. That's not what he wanted to choose, but it would set me on a path of growth, you know, certainly with him, certainly with addiction. Um, I came from a, a home that uh, we really didn't have alcohol in the home. I think my dad had beer every once in a while, but there was really no uh, addiction in my home uh, or in my family of origin to speak of. And so it was not a world that I understood at all. Unfortunately, my son struggled for the next several years. It was very, very, very challenging. Um, he wanted to be free of it. He you know, struggled to be free of it. We knew he wanted to be free of it. And so even with some rehab and some things um, that was still remained a challenge. And somewhere around in his mid-20s, he really pressed hard and just said, I'm done. He had, you know, no matter what it takes, I, I want to be free. And so I learned way more about addiction than I ever wanted to know. I really had no desire. And that was a world way, way far away from me. I, so I thought, you know, and God wanted in his, in his goodness and in his plan for our life. So he wanted to bring it really close for a lot of reasons, right? And so I learned a lot about addiction. And I learned a lot, a lot about how to love an addict and how not to enable an addict and how not to beg and plead and lose your stuff over an addict. It's very, very challenging to live with, an, with addiction and with an addict. But in his mid-20s, uh, made a decision and we really got to delight in return and got to see our son thrive be sober for a better, you know, just shy of eight years. And during the pandemic, in a time of isolation, he succumbed and relapsed and he lost his life. Oh, I know. I That's so, so hard. Just the big why, I'm sure. is Big giant why. Yeah. And so, um, you know, addiction is very near and dear to us now, very close. I have great compassion, incredible empathy. I know that that was not the first time that my son was ever tempted to relapse. I don't know that he ever did, you know, prior to the, you know, to this relapse. I don't want to assume he did. I don't want to assume that he didn't. But what I know for certain is that he soldiered incredibly well for those eight years. And I'm, I'm so proud of him for that. And I'm so sorry that he lost his life and the pain that we suffer because of it. Mm. However, God in that suffering has brought about a new journey as well. And it is, it's grief. And I even, you know, unfortunately have to say with some jest, I've said to other counselors that I know that do grief, I've kind of put my finger up and somewhat of a cross, like, no, 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 I don't, I don't know grief. I don't want to do grief. God bless you that, that you press into that really hard place with people. You know, but now I know that God wanted me to know grief in a different way. I certainly know pain and suffering, but I know pain and suffering in, in a different level now. And, and it's certainly rampant. Many families have experienced this grief and the, the grief of addiction, the grief of sudden loss, the grief of loss in general, and how to move forward in that. And one of the things that I, I think I've been so blessed having remained in the ministry with you is that when you talk about our struggle and our suffering that we can, you know, about our choices that we can use those times to form us or deform us. And I remember early on saying, this is not going to deform me. I have to choose. And how will I choose, you know, for this to be 
for my good and for God's glory. And so as painful as it's been, I think that really and truly I'm, I'm blessed to have had you all these years and to walk alongside me as well in this suffering so that, you know, this is a place I think can take down a lot of people. And certainly this is, it's two years later and I still weep at the very thought of it. And so it's deep and it will remain, remain there and we miss them. But, but God is using it. And I'm convinced of that. And so as I step into these painful places with these women, you know, I know pain and suffering. And one of the things, let me share if I can, just one minute more, kind of when I was in, in seminary and there was a, a two phases to the program. And I remember that when we were going through this with our son, one of, one of my professors said to me, Elise, do you feel like you can, can go on? And I said, you know, I really actually do. I feel like now, to, to be honest with you, I feel equipped to go on. I was blessed to be in a really loving family and grown up in a home, married someone that really loves and cares for me and sweet children. And so I, I don't know that my life had it, had really experienced a lot of pain and suffering. It wasn't, you know, totally minus it, but deep, deep suffering. And so I knew then that I would be able to sit in front of people and empathize in a way, you know, I knew pain and I knew suffering, whatever it looked like for that. I'm grateful. There's some things that remain the big, why, why Lord, why now, why him, why us? But I do see God's goodness and God's hand. And until we, we see in full, we walk by faith. Wow. That was so powerful. And I think for our listeners, I want to leave you with this thought that often life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. The story doesn't end the way we wanted it to. Our marriage ends or we lose a child or, you know, we go bankrupt or we're in a pandemic and we don't like the story that we're in. And what I love about what you said, Elise, that I really want our listeners to grab a hold of is that you still, even though you had no choice about what your son did, right? and probably he had no intention of having an overdose, right? But, but that part of the story you had no control over, but you did have control over how your story is going to play out from there. Right. And I think this is so powerful that you consciously said, I will not let this deform me. It could, it could, a broken marriage could turn me into a bitter, angry woman. Right. A betrayal could turn me against other men or hate everybody or a death of a child could make me bitter toward God. And I will not let that happen. And I think that is such a powerful message for all of our listeners, because we all have a story and we're all going through some sorts of loss, Absolutely. loss of the dream, loss of what we thought our marriage was going to look like, loss of what we thought we were going to have in terms of our family, whatever it might be. And this is life. Jesus tells us life is hard in this world. You will have tribulation, but ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, you do have choices and you can choose to embrace that loss with all of the feeling associated with it. Mm -hmm. Years later, you're still feeling those feelings. And Jesus doesn't ask you to numb that. He says this world is hard and, and Jesus wept over Lazarus' death right before he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. It was still hard. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still more, there's still more. And you've created more where you could have just despaired and given up and been bitter. You've created more. You've created a life of compassion and 
help to those who are in those situations too of loss. And it might not be with a child. It might be with the marriage, with the women you're working with. But you know what that feels like. You know how to enter into their suffering and show them there's still purpose and there's still value and there's still strength and growth. And I so appreciate that about you. Thank you. It's a painful journey on some level for all of us in some way, as you, as you say, you know, many people won't experience the, the death of a child, but the pain will come in some way. We really, none of us escape it. And so what will it mean to, to love well in that suffering? And my hope is that God is using this for his glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much, Elise, for sharing that story with us. I know it was a vulnerable moment and, you know, it's hard to, to be vulnerable with tender parts of yourself, with people who are listening, who may not know you, but I think all of them, all of you listening can feel that pain and know what that might feel like if it were you. And so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, having me share that. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. We would like to invite you to a free private webinar on September 29th. Leslie will talk about how long you should wait for a destructive spouse to change and how will you know if his changes are real. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash webinar to sign up. Until next week, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.